in our Bible reading this morning. We're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 4. In the sermon, we're looking at Psalm 92 and really what worship looks like for us. It's important to look at what worship is like in heaven. That's what we're going to read from in Revelation chapter 4, heavenly worship. This is what John sees. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, a carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from God this morning. Lord, we are about to open your word and to hear from you. In your law, and we know that you've said in Psalm 19 that your word is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. And Lord, we pray that that would be the case, that we would find that to be true. That as we hear your words, we would value them. And that you would actually be working a love and a desire, a hunger for your word into our lives. And we pray that you would give us now as we come to you to hear from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Psalm 92. That's Psalm 92. We've just finished up a a short sermon series in Jonah. And Lord willing, we'll be starting uh, another series, a longer series, in the Gospel of Mark. I thought I'd take a break now to look at a psalm together. And the psalm I chose this week was Psalm 92. This is really a psalm about worship. Let's read the psalm together now. It says, A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, O Most High, 
to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You've poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Something I've always enjoyed is getting to talk to older Christians. Um, Part of that's probably because I like people and I like history, so it's a great combination uh, when I get to go talk to somebody who's older than me, especially older in the faith. But it's a lot more than that because I enjoy talking to older Christians because I love to see their faith. I love to see them tell me about how great God has been throughout their lives. They've really had a lifetime to reflect on God's faithfulness, on His goodness to them, on His salvation in Jesus Christ, and on His commands. They've had a lifetime to reflect and a lifetime to obey. They've actually lived their faith. They've lived their love for their Savior. It encourages me. It challenges me. So actually, when I read Psalm 92, and especially about the the parts about being made glad by the works of God, and later bearing fruit in old age, specific faces and conversations come to my mind as I remember people who lived this psalm, whose lives were characterized by their constant worship of God. And that really leads us to the main idea of this psalm. Because this psalm is about this, that our God enables us, all of us actually, to see and to respond to His great works in lifelong worship. Again, our God enables us to see and to respond to His great works in lifelong worship. Now, we'll see this in three basic points. We'll see the worship of the Lord in verses 1 through 4. Then we'll see the righteous rule of the Lord in verses 5 through 9. And third and finally, we'll see the abundant blessings of the Lord in verses 10 through 15. I said this entire psalm is really about worshiping God. It's about rightly responding to God and His work. And we see that very clearly in the first verses as we see the worship of the Lord in verses 1 through 4. Notice how it begins. The psalmist writes, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. He's describing worship. And as he describes worship, he highlights three activities here. He says there's giving thanks, 
singing praise and declaring the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, those three activities are all parts of our worship. We thank God and we praise Him for who He is and what He's done. And we especially, as God's people, love to declare that love and faithfulness He has for us as His people. Now, this is, a, this is especially true when we actually gather for worship together. Notice that that's actually in the title of the psalm. The title is, A Psalm, A Song for the Sabbath. So the, the psalmist seems to be particularly focused on the time that God himself has set aside for us to worship him together. That's, that's today. This is the Sabbath. And right now in worship, we are doing this very thing. Now what, what stands out here most is actually the very simple phrase, it is good. It is good to worship God. You know, the psalmist could have said it's right to worship God, like it's the thing that we should do, and that would be correct. But he's saying a whole lot more here. Worship is good. And worship is good because it is good for us. See, we are growing in our knowledge and love of God in worship. And it's good for us because this is what God made us for. Remember that God made us for communion with Him, for that relationship, that worship that characterizes our lives. God made us for worship. But worship is also good because God values worship. God actually delights. God wants us and all of creation to praise Him. So when God says worship is good, He, in a sense, is putting His stamp of approval on it. And He's done that before in other things. Do you remember what God says every day of creation? He says, God saw that it was good. God saw that His creation was good. It was good. It was right. It was exactly what He wanted. And God is saying the same thing here for worship. Worship is good. It is what God wants. It brings glory to Him. But you notice that it's not just God who's saying this. It's actually the psalmist. It's us as we sing this psalm or say this psalm. We are actually saying that it is good to worship God. That is a response that comes from the heart. And that kind of response comes from a changed heart because we are echoing God's own words when we can truly say that worship is good. One of the things that God does is He changes us to make us value worship more and more. You know, we all know that worship is a duty, right? Something that God says that we need to do. It's a command, but God also makes it a delight. He changes our hearts to desire to be here so that we see and really believe that this is the best thing in our lives. There really is nothing better than to be gathered together praising God. Worship is good. You know, the the psalmist's heart for worship and for praising God shows up again in verse 4. He says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands... I sing for joy. And again, the Holy Spirit's fingerprints are 
all over this response because this is the response of a believer whose eyes have been opened to actually see God's works. He knows what God has done and also it is a believer whose heart has now been changed to rejoice in God and to rejoice in his works. Think about God's works. Think about what the psalmist knows or what you know and what you actually believe. What has God done? What has the Spirit shown you that God has done? And we know that God has created the entire world. There's nothing that has been made that was not made by God through Christ. We also know that God is active in history. He's preserving everything. Right now, God is upholding the universe by the word of his power. And more than just creation and more than just preserving everything, God has acted in history to save. You look throughout all of Scripture and see the work of God in salvation. And when the psalmist sees those things, he responds with gladness and joy. Only a believer responds that way. Only a believer responds this way from the heart. You know, other people may not even care about who God is and all the works that he's done. Some people might not care, and some might even openly reject those things to say there's no way that's true. But God gives his people joy in what he has done. And we have to have both of those things. We have to have that knowledge to know what he's done. We have to have that gladness in order to worship God. Sometimes we have one or the other. We know a lot, but it doesn't change our heart. We have a lot of emotion, but we don't know where it's based on. But think about what the psalmist is doing here. What he knows with his head is then transforming his heart. And that's the way it is for us as well. That what we know to be true about God leads us to worship him. Another way you could say it is that doctrine leads to doxology. What is true leads us to worship. Let me give you an example of this actually from my own life in the past week. Um, I was reading 1 Corinthians 15 this week in my my private devotions. That's Paul's great chapter on Jesus' resurrection and then how we share in that. We have our own resurrection too. And I found myself reading these verses with my head very engaged. Wow, this is amazing. I was trying to trace Paul's argument. He says, okay, there's Adam, there's Christ, there's us, there's resurrection. They all fit together. Wow, this is so amazing. But, But I found myself tempted just to stop there to understand and not to worship, not to rejoice in God's works and to praise him for how amazing and loving he really is in organizing everything in the world for our salvation, for our resurrection. Where are you in your worship of God? Maybe you're like me. Sometimes we run into those instances where we find ourselves oh no, we've actually been missing the point. You know, do you actually believe that worshiping God is good? Not just being here because you know you should be here, but actually being here because you know this is the best possible thing. Or maybe, you know, not just coming and and kind of putting on your worship face, right? So it looks or, or sounds like you think worship is good, but actually believing that worship is good. Deep down inside, do you really believe that worship is the best thing in the world? We all struggle with that. We have to be honest. And when you find yourself struggling with that worship of God, whether that's 
you know, in your own private devotions or with your family or especially when we're meeting together as, as God's people, when you find yourself struggling, go back to a place like Psalm 92. Meditate on God's works. Pray through reasons to praise God. Scripture is full of them. Your own life is full of them. Go find reasons to pray to God and turn them into prayers. And pray that God would make your heart glad again to come and worship you, worship him. Now as the psalmist thinks about all of God's works, he starts to zoom in on just one of them. And when I say just one, it's a huge one, but it is one. And we see that secondly in the righteous rule of the Lord in verses 5 through 9. The, the, the psalmist is focusing on God's righteous rule as king, and especially in the way that God deals with the wicked. Now, verse 5 kind of serves as a bridge into this new section. The psalmist says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. And, and the psalmist's confession there in verse 5 is in strong contrast with the fool in verse 6. The fool and the stupid man, he says, cannot know. They cannot understand this. And when the, when the Bible's talking about someone who's, who's stupid or a fool, God is not talking about intelligence, right? He's not saying there's the smart person and the stupid person. Now, I've known a lot of smart fools in my life because being a fool is a spiritual problem. It means you're actually rejecting God and His way. You can think about the fool in the book of Psalms or also in the book of Proverbs, Shows up a lot. In Psalm 53, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That is rejection of God. We look in the book of Proverbs, you know, the thing that characterizes a fool in Proverbs is a man who rejects a relationship with God that will actually make him wise. He wants to rely on his own understanding, his own way, instead of God's. And the psalmist says that is a spiritual problem. That leads to spiritual blindness. The fool cannot understand God or his works because he is spiritually blind. And being a fool, not actually following God, means that you don't understand how the world works. You cannot truly understand how God has made and runs the world. Look at verses 7 to 8. Spiritual fools cannot understand that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Now you probably don't have to think too hard to come up with examples of wicked people doing well, right? living a comfortable life, seeming to have their life all together, all together without God. And when I say you don't have to think too hard, remember that the Psalms remind us that there are really only two groups of people in the world. There are the righteous who love God and there are the wicked who oppose God. So you don't really need to think about Hollywood or you know, big people in the news to think about wicked people. You can actually think about your neighbors, your friends, Co-workers, the people in the grocery store who right now are opposed to God. You know, they may look like they're doing pretty well in their sin. They may even look like they are flourishing. But listen to verse, listen to these verses. God promises judgment. They are doomed to destruction 
forever. And we know that's true because our sin condemns us to hell. But God so often waits to carry out that judgment. Now, you know, I think as we see people who seem to do well without God, we often struggle with believing that the wicked really are just like grass, that the wind of God's judgment is going to sweep them away forever. We, we struggle with envy. Now, they, they seem to be breaking the rules and getting ahead. We struggle with keeping that eternal perspective. God, I know you're going to judge, but boy, that seems like so far away. Are you really in control? Are you really doing this? And that struggle that you feel in your own heart, that has been a struggle for believers throughout all of history. I mean, there is an entire psalm written about this. Psalm 73, where Asaph says the entire psalm is about how he has seen the wicked. And he thought, wow, they must be doing well. What is wrong? And he comes into God's presence and he sees their end. See, and what is true for Psalm, in Psalm 73 is true for us here as well. Because the solution to that struggle is to see that the Lord is in charge. He really is ruling as king. Verse 8, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. The, the, the temporary success of the wicked is part of the perfect plan of our sovereign God. We have to realize that God is the righteous king and judge. We, we sometimes wish he would act sooner, especially against people who are promoting sin very publicly. But we are called to trust the timing of the righteous rule of the Lord. Remember verse 5. God's works and God's thoughts are beyond what we can understand. Now the psalmist gives us kind of fuel for our faith in verse 9 because he emphasizes the Lord's victory over his sinful enemies. It says, For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. These words maybe remind you of Psalm 1. You know, the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, that, that is pointing us forward to the final judgment. Psalm 92, that's where it's pointing us. That final judgment and Jesus will return and judge everyone for their sins. We don't just have to keep looking forward, though, because we've already seen the first steps of God's judgment on his enemies because we have the cross. We've seen the first stage of that victory and that judgment in Jesus on the cross because in his death and resurrection, he defeated enemies. He defeated his enemies. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. And those are his greatest enemies. And they're also our greatest enemies too. So that means we can have the same confidence that the psalmist has here as we look at the work of God in history, defeating his enemies in Christ. Now remember the context of this psalm. The context is worship. That's the main point. So God's righteous rule is actually meant to lead us to worship. It is good for us as individuals and as a congregation. It is good for us to regularly praise God for his rule and actually also for his perfect plan to deal with sin and to deal with sinners. We need to rejoice and to praise God for his complete victory. I know I've said, I've, I've recommended reading the book of Revelation before. And I'm going to say it here as well. The book of Revelation, for instance, is such an encouraging book for us as believers because it reminds us that Jesus wins. And Jesus wins completely. 
That is a book to keep going back to in your Christian life and to use in worship. Because the experience of God's enemies is very clear by what God says. It is destruction. But the psalmist now turns to the experience of believers. What does God's rule mean for us? And what we see third in this psalm is actually the abundant blessing of God. We really see that verses 10 to 15, the final section here. And God's blessings here, we're going to see this, come from his righteous rule. Maybe another way to think about it is this. God's people share in the blessings of his work. I'll show that to you. Look at verse 10 through 11. It says, but you, God, you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. You can see the pictures of strength and service in verse 10. The horn is that picture from the Old Testament. It's that sign of of strength. So the speaker, the psalmist, knows that God has blessed him with power and a position of importance. But he also recognizes God's blessing in preparing him for service. That's the picture of being anointed with fresh oil. We think about oil in the Old Testament, it's about fellowship with God, it's being about welcomed by God into his presence. You can think of Psalm 23 You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. But anointing with the Testament is often used to show that someone or something is is set aside to serve God. It's the king, the prophets, the priests, the tabernacle. The things in the tabernacle, even some of the sacrifices, are all anointed because they are being set aside to serve God. So what the psalmist sees here is that one of the greatest blessings given to him by God the king is being chosen to serve him. Both of these things, strength and service, are part of sharing in God's rule. Um, God, as king, calls us to serve him. And he gives us the power to do that as well. But also, part of sharing in God's rule is sharing in God's victory. Look at verse 11. You know, different Bible translations may have different ways of translating this verse. But the basic idea here is that the psalmist now looks on his enemies with no fear. Right, He sees them, he hears them, but because he shares in God's victory, those enemies can't hurt him. All of these blessings that I've just described, that, that strength, that service, that security, are won for us by Jesus Christ. He was actually exalted by God. right, And now he's seated at the right hand of God, And he now clothes us in his strength to fight sin and to live righteously. He gives us that power. And he also served, Jesus Christ served his father perfectly. How did he do that service? Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Remember his baptism. And now he anoints us as his people with his spirit so that we can now serve and obey God as well. And Jesus has won the victory so that our victory is sure and certain. Again, what is true of Christ 
You see this so clearly. What is true of Christ, Christ through his spirit makes true of us. Now that's true in verses 10 through 11. It runs throughout the rest of the psalm too. Because God's rule leads to abundant blessings, many blessings, deep blessings for us. And in particular, the psalmist focuses now on the abundant life that God gives to his people. Look again in verses 12 to 15. The righteous, they flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. As you hear those verses again, the imagery of abundant life is really hard to miss, right? There's those strong, fruitful trees that are dominating these verses. There's the fruitfulness of the palm tree and the the sheer size and strength of the cedar of Lebanon. But actually, what's even more striking is their location. Notice where they are. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. I'm I'm not a very great gardener at at all. I think I've said this before. I'm not good at making things grow. I'm good at, at killing things. But I do know, something my mom taught me, is that location is very, very important. Where you plant something will cause it to thrive or to cause it to die. And notice what God does with his trees, his people. He plants us in the best spot possible. He plants us in his presence. Now that's the image here. The trees are growing in the temple itself where God is. And they have been planted there by God. There's this sense of permanence. They're not going anywhere. They are permanently placed by God in his presence. What a blessing to be spending our entire lives in the very presence of God. You can think of the the desire in Psalm 84 to be in God's presence and the blessing that the psalmist knows is going to come if he's there. And then you can hear the confidence in David's voice in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a very similar image to what's going on here. There is no greater blessing than to be in the presence of the Lord, to have that fellowship with him. And just like we've seen with these previous blessings of of God, they come to us through Jesus Christ. Think about the fact that Jesus Christ has led us into the presence of the Father. We can be with God in the temple, in worship now and in all of our lives, because Jesus Christ has made that possible. And that fellowship, that great Blessing of being in God's presence changes our life. You can see the results of that kind of fellowship in verse 14. These believers still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Now we know from experience that our bodies and even our minds are break down as we get older. But the psalmist here is describing one of the mysteries of the Christian life. That we as believers continue to grow in our fruitfulness, in our faith, in our abundant life, even as our outer selves waste away. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How are we being renewed that way? 
How are you and I continuing to grow and to be fruitful for God to the very end of our lives? We will grow by being in God's presence in weekly, daily, moment-by-moment communion with God. Because it's not really as much about what we do as we come into God's presence. It's about what God does. God is blessing us. God is working in us. God is giving us the strength that we need. Now, I have seen this to be true in many, many lives. I've seen the palm trees and the cedars of Lebanon flourishing in all stages of the Christian life and faithful believers. But I have seen that faithfulness and that fruitfulness most in hospital beds and nursing homes. I've seen it most when believers have been able to express incredible joy in suffering and even in the face of death. I've seen it when their faith in Jesus Christ and their hope of heaven are so strong that they don't want anything else. They want to be with God. When they really, truly want to be in God's presence forever. They know what they have now and they want so much more. God enables us to be fruitful in amazing ways to the very end of our lives. See, the picture here is about God's work. It's about what God is doing to produce that fruit. God takes us, God saves us, and he puts us in his presence so that we live fruitful lives for him. That is the gospel. The gospel is so clear here in Psalm 92. Maybe this is the green thumb version of the gospel. Write that down, green thumb version of the gospel. But it's true because think of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has actually taken us from being that that wicked grass that will just be destroyed by God and his wrath. He's taken us from that grass and he's changed us to be these strong trees, to be planted in God's presence. We will not be scattered in God's judgment, no, no. We have been gathered into his presence now and for forever. That now because of Jesus and his work, we're looking forward to spending eternity with God and his people in heaven forever. This is God's work. As we've seen in the psalm, God's work leads to our worship. Look at the very end, verse 15. It comes out again. Here's the result of what God has done for us. He's done these things to declare That the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You know, we started this psalm looking at how we are are praising God with our lips. And we end by praising God with our lives. Because God's work in saving sinners like us, in preserving us and making us bear abundant fruit in all circumstances, shows his character and brings him glory. I'm going to end this morning just with with a brief encouragement and application. Jesus Christ has saved you and he has saved me for an eternal life of fellowship with God and worship of God. And that life starts now. There, There are so many things that we can spend our life on, even good things. But what you and I need more than anything else, more than any other thing in life, is to grow in our worship of God. And that's what each one as individuals, and that's what we as a church need more than anything else, to grow 
together in our worship of God. So in this week, and in the, the weeks to come, pray that God would make Psalm 90 true, more and more true in us. That we would have that knowledge of what he's done. We would grow in our knowledge. But that knowledge would change our hearts and lead us to worship, to give us that joy, that gladness, that love for him and for his worship. And as God works for our good that way, we can also pray that God would work for his glory because that's what worship does. God in worship, he's working in our hearts, he's working for our good, but at the end of the day, he's doing all of these things to bring him glory. So as we go forward, pray this way. Pray that God will make Psalm 90 true, Psalm 92 true in your life and in our life as a congregation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it's encouraging to hear the words of this psalmist and to to see that we are called and enabled to worship you for all the amazing works that you have done for us. Lord, we pray that we would never stop looking at you and the things that you have done for us, you are doing for us, and you will do for us. Pray that you would change our hearts to want to worship you for everything that you've done. And Lord, it's so encouraging for us to know that this is just the beginning. That actually when we get to heaven, we'll see your work even more clearly. And Lord, that we will have an eternity to worship you. We pray that we would look forward to that day when we get to be with you and all of your people and worship you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.